I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, you're very welcome to The Tonight Show. 78-year-old Micheline Walsh, who is facing homelessness, shares her story with us tonight and her concerns for an uncertain future and her fears of having to move into a hostel. You know, there, there must be a lot of people like me, my generation, and it's, it's, it's embarrassing for people of my generation to say, I'm homeless. And later we debate just who has the authority to speak on mental health in this country. Should it be left to professionals or do online celebrity influencers have the answers? Do join our conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight, BMTV. Eight-year-old woman who is weeks away from being made homeless says she fears for her and her husband's future. Micheline Walsh has always rented and before COVID-19 was working part-time and rent was within reach with two pensions coming into the household. Now she is facing an uncertain future as she continues her search for a new home after receiving an eviction notice. Well, a little earlier today, Claire Brock met the pensioner at a family member's home. Micheline, if you would tell us about where you call home and what's happening now with that home. It's a perfect little spot for us, you know, because it's, it's back from the road. Um, it, just nice, nice size, no big garden to look after, just a little patio. And <clears throat> then... It all changed, though, all in, changed. in June of last year. Yeah. You got news that you would have to you'd have to move out. Yeah, yeah. We got uh, when I got a phone call from the landlord who was considerate about it, and then said, you know, we, we will send on legal because you have to have a legal mm-hmm. uh, letter saying the day you have to leave. And your feeling when you got that letter? Uh, a very sinking feeling. But I thought, right, OK, there's got to be a round, way around this. So maybe we, we just have to, f- we have to find somewhere else. But I knew that I would have to go on the housing list. So I started working on getting on the housing list. But I didn't realise, you know, what a, what a, a maze that is. What a, it, it's, you're fumbling through places all the time. And I learned pretty quickly that there were fewer and fewer opportunities and, and fewer and fewer options for me. And then I, I, I did start getting worried. But I thought, OK, we still have time. I'll keep working at it. But time is running out now. And it's a bit panicky. Your situation is that your husband is also ill. Yeah. 
you know, not alone are you living together, you're also his full-time carer, Micheline. Tell, yeah. tell us about your situation. Um, about, uh, it was about eight years ago, uh, my husband had a stroke. And it was, it was quite a big one. It, uh, he was in hospital for quite a while. It, uh, it damaged his eyesight. He lost sight, the sight of half of each eye. He also, and that's just not reversible, he also lost the ability to read. He, he can't read. So I can't leave him a note or anything because he can't read it. He can't read instructions on things. Um, we can never watch uh, movies with, with subtitles because he can't read them. And he also started to... It, the damage continued for a while, mm -hmm. too, because he was having seizures. So he's now become unsteady on his feet, you know. He's, and he, he, um, he can't manage, he can't put up with noises. Mm -hmm. I'd get him noise-cancelling headphones. And what does he know about um, the impending eviction, about you leaving he, the home you're in and... No. Being now three weeks away from that deadline with yeah. nowhere to live. He knows about it, but um, he, 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 he doesn't know the reality. He, he doesn't accept the reality. Something, he's going to find some money from somewhere. Something is going to happen. And, and I'm, I'm not going to say to him, no, it, it's, it's difficult because... Um, the level of understanding and his memory, you know, he, he doesn't know what day it is. He asks me every day, what day is it? And he apologises for that. So because of your circumstances and when you applied to the council and various agencies that you've been talking to yeah. since June of last year, yeah. um, has there been added assistance? Have you been prioritised for somewhere to find at this situation? The fact that you are 78, the fact that your husband also elderly and in need of, of that care from you. Yeah, that, I don't think so. We are on the elderly list. There are two lists. There's the regular list, which is probably so long that I'd be dead before I ever got a house. And then there's the elderly list. And um, we were number, I, last I checked, 191 on, on that. And that's just for Dunleary Rathdown. And have you been told how long it may be before you might get a home that way? No. no. And I, I know the government launched and expanded, in fact, this tenant in situ scheme mm -hmm. um, to try to keep people like yourselves in a, in a house, in a yeah. home, should the landlord choose to sell. Um, did that ever sort of come your way? Was that ever suggested to you as a way of staying in your home? No, I knew about it, but I'd, nobody ever said, yeah, this is what you should do. Because also it's a managed estate. And I thought, mm, you know, they, they might not want to buy that. Um, so I didn't actively pursue it because I didn't think of it as an option. But it wasn't actively suggested to you either, Micheline? No, nobody did. Um, and you went in all the various routes. You're now in a situation that um, you have, as I say, with just a few weeks out, nowhere to go. Yeah. So what have you been told about the next step when you have to hand over the keys, about where you'll go, where you'll turn to with Griff? Uh, 
because the medical thing has not been processed, so he is not recognised as a medical need. It takes time to process. Um, I was told it can take between six and nine months. I know that they're actively working on it, but I don't know when or at what stage it will it, it'll come into play. And I don't know what it'll mean, because it might mean that we just get a little bit further up the list, but that doesn't help when you're walking out the door in a few weeks' time. What I, when the process is, once you are six weeks away from your eviction date, you become in, uh, at risk of homelessness, and then you deal with the homeless department. And the homeless department says, said to me, you, on the day that you, you are evicted, you phone us as early as you can in the morning and tell us you know, that you need accommodation. And I said, well, you know, what, what will happen then? And I was told that it, um, well, there isn't a lot around. We sent it to the central accommodation people, and they, if they have anywhere, they will let us know. But it's most likely to be a hostel. In, uh, and as they said to me then, you know, uh, you're a couple, so you'll get a room. So we won't have to share with the whole. But he Can could, you imagine it? No, I can't. I can't. I, I, I try. I try to. I have no idea what it's like. I have no idea. I know. I, I, I didn't even stay in youth hostels. Uh, my daughter did some travelling, and she told me, "Well, you know, hostels. You, you have to share the bathroom. There's an area where, but that's a youth hostel. This is a homeless hostel, and I, I don't know." I mean, I have no idea. Mm. Do they have beds? Do they have, you know, where? And uh, I suppose the additional, the additional things that you will need, the additional things that your husband Griff will need, yeah. being someone who has extra requirements yeah. and extra challenges. Yeah, he's a big tray of medicines he has to take. You know, every week the chemist gives a big tray of medicines. He's, he has, you know, little boxes for each day for, for the week. So not, not just the day, but about four boxes for the day. We all have ideas in life of where we may be at a certain age, what we may be doing. Um, did you ever think you would, at this age, be facing this predicament? No, never, never, never. I, n I never thought I'd be sitting on the pig's back because, I, you know, I worked all my life and I moved around quite a bit. But I never thought, because I thought... Well, you know, when you can work, you work, you, you make a living, you pay, you pay your expenses, you pay your rent, you pay your mortgage if you have one, and, um, and that's what you do. By going public with all of this, that's, that's, a, that's a big thing to do. So um, within that, I presume your message or your plea is, help me now find a home. Yeah, I can't... I, I find it hard to imagine what that day will be like. I, I really do. I think about it. And I think, you know, uh, okay, so you close the door, everything is gone from the place, or maybe you've got storage. And, of course, there's the animals that will have to go. And there, there's... A, you have pets. Yeah, two cats and a parrot, a rescue parrot. And... Walking out and then with whatever we have, because what would fit into the car? If we have to go to a hostel, do I bring pillows? I'll bring just a bag of 
change of clothes and maybe leave some clothes with, with my daughter so that we... But, but where do I wash my clothes? Where do I find... Where, where do I cook a meal? And is staying with family an option for you? Unfortunately not, no. Um, my, uh, nobody has space. And uh, there is also the fact that my husband is not well. We are, you know, we, we're, we're good together. We're fine. But it's, it's difficult having somebody live in your house who has had some brain damage. And so I, I, I can't in conscience do that. I can't and I, I won't because it, it just it wouldn't be fair. Um, and so for you now, you wait and see and hope. Is yeah. that, is that Micheline, what you're, all you can do? Is that what you feel all you can do? That's, right all, I, that's all I can do and ask. But, you know, <clears throat> there, there must be a lot of people like me, my generation. And it's, it's, it's embarrassing for people of my generation to say, I'm homeless. And yet, um, it's, it's a very honest account of a situation that many people will be facing. Yeah. So Micheline, we do appreciate you talking to us today. Thank you. Thank you. After the break, Sinn Féin's Owen O'Brien and Fianna Foyle's Mary Fitzpatrick react. 
lots of agencies of the state. You know, she hasn't put her head in the sand. She has tried to sort yeah. this. And she has been told that the best that she can really hope for at this point is a homeless hostel. I, and that's not acceptable, and, and I don't believe that's the case because the reality of it is, is that there should be preventative lettings. I, I know myself in city council, when I was a city councillor, we cha changed our scheme of lettings so that there could be preventative lettings that would give a priority to senior citizens like Micheline, and that still is in place today. But more importantly, what I heard her say was that her landlord is selling up, and that's a change that this government has brought about, whereby where a landlord is selling up, and particularly where somebody is, in this instance, on the social housing list, the local authority has the funding and the authority to purchase that home if the landlord will sell to the local authority. So in this instance, I would appeal to the landlord to engage with the local authority. Is, is, that, is that the landlord's responsibility here? I think the landlord... Well, the landlord is has it? to give permission. He has to give permission for his contact details to be shared with the local yeah. authority, and the local authority then progresses on behalf of the tenant. And, and what happens in that instance is, is that Micheline and her husband don't have to move out. The landlord doesn't have to engage yeah. an agent, doesn't have to pay a commission, doesn't have to pay the cost of staging But he is property. entitled to sell it. He doesn't oh, have to absolutely engage. Absolutely, he, he is entitled. But honestly, from my, experience, solution. from my experience, where the property meets the tenant's requirements, the local authority always offers the market rate. And for a landlord, it means... They don't lose their rent for the time it takes to execute the sale. They don't have to pay a commission to have the, the property sold. And yeah. they don't actually have to pay to... to so it works for both parties. I'm just and, and what so it does, conscious, most though. importantly for Micheline and her husband, is that that gives them security of tenure. That rent at home becomes their permanent home. Yeah, so but I'm just instance, conscious, Mary, that option is there. And absolutely. I know that's been there since the beginning of April. Micheline's been dealing with this since last July. I don't she has yeah. contacted councils, local officials, local representatives. She said she has been proactive in trying to deal with this. And never once has anybody come to her with this solution. What's going wrong? I, I, I genuinely don't understand. That's why I did ask your producer if I could speak with Micheline directly because I don't understand how that could be the case. My experience from, uh, and I appreciate this is done leary down. they may they probably don't have the same level of engagement with tenants at risk of becoming homelessness as Dublin City does because Dublin City is the larger local authority and, to be fair, is dealing with and is the lead local authority in terms of homelessness prevention in the Dublin area. But I don't understand that because that scheme is in place. It is working. It has already prevented more than 1,300 individuals and families from okay. becoming homeless. So it really is important that Micheline does have access to that scheme. Owen, your response. Well, first of all, I'd, I'd like to actually thank Micheline and, and her family and David for going public because I think what they've done, first of all, is they've given voice to what thousands of people across the country are currently experiencing. Uh, uh, people whose notice due date, the date they were to be out of their property, has already passed. People who are being forced to overhold and they don't have anywhere to go. Uh, and the things that Mary is saying weren't in place at the time that these people mm. needed them most. What I also think is very significant about Micheline's story is it's shining a light on one of the parts of our homeless crisis that doesn't get enough attention, which is homelessness of people over 65. Uh, last month, there were 175 pensioners, men and women, in emergency accommodation across the state. Many, many more, like Micheline. I have a 72-year-old woman in my own constituency whose due date was actually the 1st of April. She's also overholding. Um, um, what's the option for her? Well, in, in the case of the one in my own constituency, and she, she hasn't gone public, so I can't name her, 
The problem is her landlord has died, a family member is moving into the property uh, and she simply has nowhere to go. She's been overholding now uh, for over a, a month and a half and it's completely unclear where she's going to go. So any of the schemes that the government introduced none, at the end of the election month don't apply to n- your n- constituents? None of the schemes do. And she's and, 72 years of age and, and sho- is overholding. And the shocking thing about this is pensioner homelessness has increased a staggering 43% since Dara O'Brien has become the Minister for Housing. So this isn't something that has just happened now. If you listen to the uh, organisations that advocate for older people, particularly those in precarious situations in the private rental sector, such as Age Action or Threshold, they've been warning us about this for quite some time. And the straight answer to Mary's question around why the tenant and situ scheme hasn't been working is because it's really only since the ban on evictions has been lifted that government is now scrambling around trying to put that scheme properly in place. It is beginning to see some results, and I will acknowledge that, but the idea that you have a couple... Uh, uh, in the twilight years of their life. These people have done everything right. They have worked hard, they have paid taxes, they've raised their children. And at 78, the prospect of going into emergency accommodation, I think, is scandalous. So what this shows is the government were wrong to end the ban on no-fault evictions. The government did not have enough uh, emergency measures and supports in place. But also more fundamentally, like we deal, Mary and I, with a lot of people in real housing stress, and none of it is acceptable. But there has to be a basic threshold of decency that as a society, we do not allow ourselves to go below. And the idea that people in their 70s, people with severe medical circumstances, could be left in a situation of going into a hostel for a year or two years. Yes, Micheline is going to get on the homeless priority list, but that could be several years before an allocation of social housing is offered. And in the meantime... We simply don't know where she is going to go. Yeah, there was two things that she mentioned there, Mary. She said the elderly list in her mm. constituency, she's number 191 on that. She might move up a little bit because of her husband's illness. But for her medical assessment for that, the delay for that is between six and nine months mm. delay. I mean, to me, there's just a a system here that is well-meaning. I can see it is well-meaning. And there are people, I'm sure, that she has engaged over the last few months who want to help her. But she talks about a maze fumbling through the place. Nobody having clarity about what can happen. And a system as clearly, if there's a medical wait of six to nine months, is deeply inefficient. Yeah, I, I, I don't accept that her medical, and it's her husband's medical assessment, as I understand it, um, will take six to nine months. It's just from what I've heard her describe, that is categorically a medical need and a medical priority. I don't it would have think... to be assessed. And she said that's what but, she's but been told. There, there'll be very little assessment needed because in his instance, all of his assessment has taken place. All of his diagnosis is there. All of his reports are there. Yeah, but, but... you have to... What she said... Sorry to cut a caution, Mary, just to yeah. be clear, what she said is that the GP that has been appointed mm. to do these medical assessments has a six to nine month waiting list yeah. for these appointments and they're working part time. So he might need very little assessment, but that doesn't matter if you can't even get the appointment. So when I spoke with Dunleary Rathdown today, they assured me that that assessment is not going to take six to nine months and that based on the evidence. I couldn't speak to the particulars because I obviously didn't have uh, uh, the opportunity to speak with Micheline um, beforehand, but I do not expect her to wait six to nine months. I do believe that in Micheline's case, and uh, just to speak to that one particularly, the tenant in situ is there. It's available. It can prevent them from having to leave 
their home. They won't have to go into uh, any sort of emergency If their landlord agrees to it and if the property if, is But suitable. the landlord has already indicated that they're selling. And if they are selling on the open market, the local authority will give them market price. There is no reason why they wouldn't sell. And the other really... point, I suppose, though, that yeah. Owen O'Brien made, which is under Dara O'Brien's watch, that the number of mm. people over the age of 65 who have gone into homelessness yeah. is up by over 40%. And there were warnings. Yeah. There were warnings last July from the same in the community. There were warnings again in November that said there is a real issue of that particular cohort, a very vulnerable cohort, going into homeless accommodation. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Look, That's the, a the, failing. It's a massive it's, failing. The, the, the numbers in emergency accommodation have increased. The population has increased very significantly. All of the measures that are being taken have increased. Um, we have uh, massively increased the supply of uh, housing. There was more than 30,000 or up to 30,000 homes delivered last year. There was 10,000 social homes delivered. Uh, that's the highest number since 2008. Our priority is on the social housing, the affordable housing, but also on private housing. And, and all of those measures are resulting in less people presenting as homeless, more people exiting homeless. And, 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 most, I, and I, I accept, I accept all of the policies are there, but that's but, Micheline's but, reality and those policies make absolutely, no difference to her. And Karen, that's why I speak to her reality to start with. The tenant in situ is there and that can work for Micheline and her husband eventually. No, no, it's really important. When, when Owen levels those allegations of a failure of government, mm. I think the point has to be made and has to be accepted that if it is a housing emergency, we all have a part to play, us in government, and us in opposition. And when those in opposition talk about a housing emergency and object then to emergency planning legislation that would allow local authorities build social and affordable housing on public lands without planning permission, that isn't acting like it's an emergency. When they object to the state buying, leasing, building, social housing, affordable housing, All right, okay. that's not acting Are like it's an emergency. Are you obstructing the solutions here, Absolutely not, and we haven't opposed a single emergency measure the government has taken. You have. The you, problem, opposed, the, you opposed the, the planning measures the, that would allow we, local we authorities didn't. build we, social and affordable we, housing Mary, without apartheid. Mary. You abstained in the end, Sorry. the ultimate political cop-out, but they objected. You objected. Right. Sinn Féin absented okay. themselves. So for, first, for, first of all, we didn't object. Uh, we made it very clear that we wouldn't stand in the minister's way but the mealy-mouth measure he introduced won't actually accelerate the delivery of social homes. But we didn't get in his way uh, uh, because uh, we wanted to be helpful. Here's the real tragedy about this. Since Darrell O'Brien has been the Minister for Housing, over a billion euros of capital funding that should have delivered both social and affordable homes has remained unspent. In the first four months of this year, the capital underspend for social and affordable housing is 32% of what was meant to be spent. What's that in real terms? Eight and a half thousand social homes that should have been delivered, that were promised by government over the last three years, weren't delivered. There's only seven and a half thousand households in emergency accommodation. Uh, and, you know, Mary will blame everybody, whether it's the opposition or the war in Ukraine or Brexit or whatever. Mm. We have a government which over three years has seen catastrophic increases in homelessness, okay. in child homelessness, in pensioner homelessness. And at the same time, they are not spending the money that they has been allocated. No, no, they haven't well, reallocated it. Have no, just, and, and, just, just, because I didn't interrupt Mary once, right? And and we have people watching this show who literally tonight have nowhere to go because of the policies of this government. That money has not been reallocated. Okay, Those eight and a half thousand homes have been lost. And meanwhile, families that need the protection of an extension of the ban on evictions, an additional emergency measure to provide long-term secure homes, 
are being failed by okay. this government. Mary, just let Mary, Mary respond to Mary that. should be embarrassed the by contestants... what they're doing to older people in this country today and children okay. and people Absolutely. with special needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. needs Absolutely. in emergency I, I take accommodation. It, I, I take it, it incredibly failure, seriously. Mary. And now Owen is going to try and talk me down. Owen knows that it is a fact that no, that more funding has been is being spent this year and every year under this government than any previous government ever in the history of the state, that the number of homes being constructed is the highest number ever, that the number of commencements is the highest number ever. ever. Owen knows all this. Owen knows that we're actually using all of the available resources. Mm-hmm. Owen's party has objected to... The, the highest it, number ever built in the history of the state? In one year, absolutely. It's not and, true. And, and, and Kira, actually, can, can I just... true. Kira... But Owen says uh, that's the, not true. Well, Owen, Owen would say it's not true. But what Owen will not also admit to is the fact that his party, his party have objected to the help to buy... 37,000 individuals okay. and families. The, the housing crisis okay. would be okay. considerably worse. Isn't they will add decades to the housing crisis if they get into power. Okay. They will okay. immediately Let's just move abolish away from, supports from... for 75,000 renters. They will immediately abolish the help to buy that has helped 37,000 individuals and families buy their own home. They will scrap the vacant and derelict property grants, which are allowing hundreds and thousands of people to actually take okay. existing properties and turn them into their homes. They've objected to thousands of homes themselves in terms of planning right. commissions. Their hypocrisy is morally bankrupt. OK, very quickly, I to respond to that because I want to get to one other point here. Nothing that Mary has said will offer any consolation to the thousands of the people. The tenant in situ to the is thousands, the solution. The there was a solution here, though, There is there? a solution there was this, Owen, and you know there is there, a solution. No, none of what Mary has said will offer any consolation to the thousands of people out there at the moment who have notices to quit and who have nowhere okay. to go. But do you accept in this situation there may be a solution here? The tenants oh, that you see Let, let me be very clear. And, and uh, it, it that was... That the government have introduced We it have was, introduced a solution and we've it introduced was, it not for it, those okay. just on social housing list, but also those who the didn't qualify for social the, housing, the, but who would qualify okay, for okay, affordable the cost rental. The, the government... We had been pleading with government since January of last year to reopen the scheme. They reopened it in April, but gave okay. no clarity to local authorities. And what we need for government to do now is to ensure everything is done, everything, including the reintroduction of the ban on evictions, right. to protect families to... like Micheline so they don't have to go into emergency accommodation to to and they have point. a secure roof over their heads. Mary, do you accept that given the fact that we have a large generation rent now who perhaps Absolutely. have no prospect of ever being able to afford their own home, that cases like Michelin's in the future are going to become more prevalent? Uh, We we, we need to accept that um, there will be always people who will be renting. And for those who are renting, they need to have increased security. This government has increased the security and the benefits for renters, everything from extending notice periods to reducing deposits to actually giving a renter's tax credit. Really important. But the introduction of the affordable... But they don't have security. You can see because somebody like Micheline, they they don't actually have security of tenancy. Affordable cost rental provides the security. So social housing provides uh, security of tenure. Affordable cost rental provides security of tenure. And a massive... It's going to be sobering. I think that interview today will be a really sobering listen to any middle-aged person renting in this country and that's why who can't afford to I agree house. with you 100%. It is very sobering. It's very upsetting. That's why we introduced the tenant in situ. So what that allows is people who are renting, people who are at right. immediate risk of homelessness, the local authority can step in and can buy that property and make it their permanent home. OK, that very is, quickly. That is a game-changer. Is it difficult for you to come in here and defend housing policy? You're not the Minister for Housing, but you have been sent in as a government's mm-hmm. representative today. Is it difficult? Can you see, hear those stories? It is, it is incredibly challenging for Micheline, for her family, for all of her friends 
it is incredibly challenging for anybody who is caught in this right. housing emergency. But what is what propels me to continue is our determination to right. actually okay. resolve it. We have to resolve it and we can't allow the hypocrisy of the opposition to really make the matters worse. OK, well, look, we have to leave it there. We will return to this issue lots more after the break, including a debate on whether or not celebrity mental health advice has taken over from the mainstream professionals. Stay with us. You're very welcome back. Well, mental health is a topic in Ireland that we hear a lot about nowadays, be it on the TV or the radio or newspapers or through new social media platforms. For some, this has meant a rise of what has become known as celebrity mental health culture, with podcasts and blogs appearing. But just who is qualified to give mental health advice? Should it be left to experts like doctors and psychotherapists? Or do celebrity mental health influencers play an important role? Well, I'm joined now to debate this by writer and broadcaster Keith Walsh and by author and psychotherapist Richard Hogan. You're both very welcome to the programme. Uh, Richard, you wrote a piece about this in the yeah. Irish Examiner where you spoke of your concern about the influence on so-called uh, celebrity mental health influencers yeah. on our children. Why? I suppose working in schools, I've been working in schools for over 22 years and then working clinically and being the director of a clinic, um, I see firsthand the impact that um, our mental health promotion is, have, is having on our children. And I suppose what made me write the, the column was what I started to see, Kira, was that in our school system, I think we're, I, I think we're in a very precarious situation where perhaps we're endorsing mental health issues amongst our teenagers. And I see it too much not to comment on it. And what, what is happening as I see it and analysing, I, I, get, I get brought into schools all the time. I talk around schools in Ireland all the time. And what I see is that often teenagers are in charge of the mental health promotion in the school and they bring in whatever celebrity that they're interested in. And often, and, I, and this is where I'm really concerned, and only, only two weeks ago I was sitting with a girl in my clinic, a 15-year-old teenage girl, and her parents were really concerned about her. When they left the room and I was talking to her, she said to me, and this is why I wrote the article. She said, I didn't think about self-harm until someone in the school came in and talked about their experience of self-harm. And that is where I think we're in a dystopian situation where people are coming into the school system and talking about mental health issues and promoting mental health. I think they're, they're, they're well-intentioned, Do you, you, you think that, that young people are too suggestible? Is that what it is, Absol that they're just too we are, as a influenceable? As a species, we are incredibly suggestive. Absolutely. And teenagers, in particularly, are, are incredibly suggestive. And if you know anything about, you know, mental health and psychology, there's a huge amount of contagion around it. And so you have to be very careful. That's why placebos and, say, SSRIs have about the same efficacy and effectiveness in, in clinical trials, because we are so suggestive. You would completely disagree with this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keith Walsh. Um, You've gone into schools, have you? Yeah, I have the, at the people. odd school, yeah, but I wouldn't go in as an expert. I only go in as myself, just talking about my own experiences. And generally what I like to talk about, and I think what young men especially, and, and girls need to hear about, is uh, vulnerability. And f feeling like you're, it's okay to talk about how you're feeling. That's, that's really it. Like, so however you're feeling, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling, you know, sad if someone's upset you if you need to say no to somebody if you know that whatever you're feeling inside you have your own you are important so you need to be able to say how you feel and you need to find a place where you can say that um i don't think it's any i, I don't think this is a problem this is like you're the only person saying this is a problem we have a problem with mental health in this country the government aren't doing anything about it they're not doing much There's so you think it just opens a conversation that's waiting to be had yeah because 
I don't see if a businessman went in, uh, if a businessman who was wheelchair bound went into a school and said, well, I've, I've made a lot of money. My, me being in a wheelchair hasn't held me back. I've made this money. I, I'm a very well, I've, uh, I've done very well in business. I don't think any children will walk out of that class going, I want to be in a wheelchair. But they will look at his success. They will look at how he's overcome, you know, his supposed, uh, you know, disability or whatever's held him back. And anytime I talk about, I have a one-man show called Pure Mental, and I talk about, the whole show is about when you get to that point that you think it's all over or whatever, mm. this is how I got out of it. So maybe this might be helpful for you. But are you qualified, I suppose? For what? To, what, give advice as to how you got out of it, advice that might be taken on board by a young person who doesn't realise that you're not an expert giving that advice. I tell them I'm not an expert. But you do say... I don't have to be qualified to talk to people. You do say, I've had this issue and this is how I've overcome it. Yeah, by talking to a therapist. Yeah, yeah, I said I went to a therapist and you have to go to a qualified therapist and this man was qualified and he told me this and I did this and this is how I got through it. And you should speak to people and find a professional to talk to. And that's generally how it works. And you but don't. are there a lot of people within this uh, industry, as Richard was saying, who, do, who aren't giving that advice? But sure, Richard was talking about monetizing uh, mental health. But sure, what, you charge for your work, don't you? I think doctors charge for the work, don't yeah, they? they're monetizing the medical industry. I Universities are mon- mon- monetizing, is... <clears throat> monetizing mental health because you went to university, I presume. For 14 years. Yeah, so, you know. But is, is it they, not they, a difference between somebody who is a, a professional who has studied, who's done research, who's had his I don't have to be a professional to talk to somebody. If I talk to my okay. own children, if, I, if I'm invited into a school and all the parents are happy for me to be there and I'm telling my story, if a hurler goes into a class and he says, listen, I played hurl and I was brilliant for 10 years. And then I had this breakdown and I was gambling. I did this and I had a terrible time. And this is how I got out of it. Then you're looking at a hurler and a kid isn't going, a kid might be looking at him going, he's a great life, everything's brilliant. That's not what we want children to think. We don't live in this fairy tale world where we go school, university, marriage, happily ever after. It doesn't work like that. And if we're honest with them and we tell them what might be ahead of them, then it's forewarned, okay, okay, forearmed. Richard, and then we just, can, they can go to people like Richard if they're in trouble. You're simply just sharing your story. By doing that, you're destigmatizing mental health. You're having open conversations, which we have looked to have in this country for a very long time mm. and struggled to have in the past. I think I, I'm not criticizing Keith or, or what Keith's doing. I, I, I think it's fantastic for going to schools and talk. Here's my, here's my issue with this. Mm. Um, you bring somebody into the school that you admire, let's say for the weekend that's in it, Bruce Princeton comes in and talks about his depression and doesn't give you any ideas about how you get out of that situation or just says, you know, you should talk to each other and off he goes out of the school. Am I more likely as a teenager to think maybe that's something to, to have in my life? Now, I'm telling you, Kira, I work with this all the time, right? Is there evidence the, to, to, to yeah, back this the, up the that you can suggest to somebody that you could have depression and they could think they have it? Yeah, there, there is a lot of research around the suggestiveness of the homo has sapiens. A, has a, has, I mean, there's has a celebrity tests. gone into a school like Bruce Springsteen or whoever and said, I have mental health issues, I'm depressed, see you later. Like, it doesn't happen. It's never happened. Keith, do you sit clinically, it's literally do, you sit clinically never do you sit clinically with, with clients? But you're ta- you talked about that client, the girl who said that I self-harmed because this person came in and self-harmed, right? Exactly. I'm not a qualified per- uh, therapist. If someone said that to me, I'd say, this girl has issues. And she has issues because, and I'm not saying issues like a bad thing, like everybody has mental health. Everybody has mental health issues. And we're all going to feel up, down, whatever. How do we deal with them? Okay. This girl has okay. mental health issues because okay. she's saying that 
I am harming myself because someone else did it. That's okay, not right. Okay, let, Richard, just say here. let Richard respond here, to that. The mental health promotion at the moment is a juggernaut that has left the building, right? And if you're analysing it like I am, with a lot of experience and a lot of insight into this thing, you know the juggernaut has left the building. It reminds me of the diet fad of the 1990s. And it's, it's really important that we look at the messaging. And do you think this is a bit of a trend? Is that what you're saying? Do you... Not, do you, do you, do you if, if you're working in schools, you would see the increase in mental health issues amongst teenagers. And you would see it as an epidemic. And you'd have to look at it and say, well, what is causing this? Right? You'd have to look back and, and look at what's... We've never had more talk about it. And my point is, talk is good, but we need to think about how we talk. So it's, it's OK not to be OK. Nice message, right? That's a good message to destigmatize mental health. That's important. But where is the messaging around it's OK to be OK? Where is the messaging around when you're feeling good? This is what I say. You can't monetize this. When you're feeling good, what are you doing? Do more of that. Now, that's an important message to be given to teenagers. When you're not feeling so good, what's going on there, right? And so you get them to think more intentionally about what's going on in their lives and you give them nice, simple messaging around it. So they're and surrounded... what messaging do you think they're getting at the moment? I think they're surrounded by TikTok. I think they're, they're surrounded by really negative... Me it's very negative. It's all about anorexia. I think you're being negative. I, no, I think I'm bringing the message that <laughs> yeah, people need to hear. Together. I suppose the point I suppose that Keith was making there is that the message a lot of time is, I've had these struggles but I've overcome them. That that's the message that okay. children are getting. You may feel this way, but you can overcome it. Yeah, right. Everything's not, and hearing? everything's going to be and, okay. Okay, and so I, I, I've carried out research on this, and I've sat with students for over five, six years. I wrote a book called Parents and Screenager when I went around to schools looking at what makes this kid resilient and all that. And I looked at the data around this, and I interviewed over about 25 schools around this, and students were saying to me very clearly, and I see it in my clinic, and I work in schools all the time, that the messaging that they're seeing is very negative all around them. It's, it's all about the negative aspects of mental health and there's no positive psychology here. That's what I'm saying. Talking is really important. No one wants to go back to the stigma around mental health. Keith coming in talking about his experience, that's nice. But we have to have positive psychology okay. in there too. So what you're saying is the, the intentions might be okay. The intentions are probably are, are well intentioned. They're probably well intentioned. But, but it's damaging. But it, it can be damaging. No, I'm saying it can be damaging. And that's what we have to be careful of. I'm saying I'm just I'm, I'm saying this is something to be concerned about. And parents feel really outside this conversation. They almost feel, in my experience, talking to them pushed outside the conversation. Because uh, there's so is that a fair point though that, that what somebody like Richard and... has is insight and yeah, experience. Not, we don't have numbers. He's saying parents feel this and parents feel that. Parents are worried about their children. Children are anxious. We've just come out of COVID. There's a lot going on. We just need to get them talking. We need to talk. We need to talk especially to young boys about vulnerability and you don't have to, you know, grow a pair and carry on. You just, you sit down and talk about how you're Is feeling. Is there a danger you know? um, of self-diagnosing? But sure, that like it's but never... you don't. You're not going to seek sure. help. Would you just tell yourself? But I have. sure, long before so-called celebrity mental health influencers and TikTok people self-diagnosed. No, but sure, Would you there absolutely is. I mean, you come on, you Keith, you have to be in the real world. TikTok, Instagram. Sorry, you're saying that there's there's if not you more influencers. If you self-diagnose, right, as a young person or whatever, like it's a like as soon as it stops, if it's not working for you, you're not going to. How do you self-diagnose and we, what do you do? Like, do we have you self-diagnose a child self-diagnosed with mental health and sits down in front of a mirror and talks to themselves as a therapist? Like, what, what do you talk we about? We have the perfect storm here, right? Because I, I, I live in this world. We're, we're in a perfect storm. We had the massacre report there that showed the cams. It's not, just it's overwhelmed, not a problem. Right? This is not a problem. It's, it's, it's a waste of time. Okay, waste of, if you're going to talk about mental health, Richard. talk about mental health. Okay, but this properly. is a fair point. Richard it's, it's, is, is, is experienced. It's not a thing. He's worked it's, it's in a not, long time. Mental health isn't a thing. You're, you're, what you're saying okay. isn't a thing. We so, have a problem with mental health and young people are suffering. 
And Can you're I saying that people should come into schools and talk about it. We have, the, we have the perfect storm here, and this is the perfect storm. And Richard is here to help these people professionally. That's he's what creating he's a storm that doesn't exist. I'm creating a storm. OK, thanks, Keith. What I'm saying here is that we have the massive report to show that CAMS is overwhelmed. We have GPs really, like, under incredible pressure, knowing that families will not get the... You know, there's 52% of families don't have health insurance, right? So there's 52% of families out there who are... Who are in the wind here, you know, w without proper supports. And so GPs know that those families and those kids will not get the proper services. Hang on, can I just finish this point? So a lot of the times, heavy psychotropic drugs are rolled out. We saw that in the Maskey report, where they're not being supervised and they're not being looked after. And you couple that with then negative mental health promotion in schools, where people are being, where students are surrounded by anxiety, anorexic talk, uh, uh, you know, OCD. You, you go into any school and you see all of these uh, so ideas out there. That's the dystopian that I'm talking about. We have to so be careful. who should be talking about this in schools? I'm, I'm not, saying, Keith should, I'm not saying that Keith shouldn't be talking about it. I'm saying that the talk needs to be more positive as well. Yes, we hear the lived experiences, but we have to have a roadmap out of it. We have to teach kids how to be positive in their thinking. That's what I'm talking about. Very simple messaging to help them out of the negative... Uh, so is your, is your criticism that the celebrity influencers can't provide that roadmap? They don't well, have I'm the saying, training at times, experience? At times, they, at, at, from my experience, for sure, sitting in my clinic, you'd hear children talk to you about what they've, what they've heard in, in their school. And at times, they have done very delirious things there for mental health. I'm not saying always. I'm not saying Keith's going in there doing that. But I'm saying there's definitely has been... That, that is going on and it's been massively monetised and we have to be careful about it. I, I, You've if also I mentioned the word monetising. If I do go to school, that, I don't charge that, them. Anyway, what? You don't charge in schools. But is, 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 there, is there a bit of an industry here? You wrote about this mental health industry yeah. and that, that you, uh, a Richard... A juggernaut. A juggernaut that you're uncomfortable with. Is there... Yeah, well, I mean, you can you can include mindfulness, you can include yoga, uh, meditation. These are Wellness, all good things. Yeah. yeah, I mean, booze used to be a big thing in the nineties. You know, like everybody drank, and there was a big, you know, it was a big thing. You had loaded magazines. Kid wanted to drink. Okay, Smoke, but, smoking but was a big thing. Has a juggernaut. Become, has smoking become, was a juggernaut. Yes, but has it become a good something juggernaut. that people can monetize, and therefore their intentions? I'd rather people monetize mental health and mindfulness and, and meditation than booze and fags. But are End people of. creating a mental health brand, Keith? Who? And cashing in Be on specific. It. Well, I'm not going to name out individuals. No, but tell me in, what way, in what way. But people are creating a brand around themselves by talking about mental health difficulties. That's the point I think Richard had made. But what's the problem? Is it but, better... Because they're not qualified. But sure, it's better that, that their, their brand isn't like, I drink two bottles of whiskey and I'm famous, look at me. When I was young, I looked at Jim Morris and I thought, well, drugs must be cool. But so it's is better, it, sorry, isn't is it better it? that I would look at, up at somebody like Blind Boy or Brezzy and say, actually, he had difficulties. I actually thought his life was perfect and he had difficulties it, and he dealt with them and that's great. Okay, and he brings out a book and I buy it and whatever, it's great. Isn't that a fair point, I suppose, Richard, that a lot of these young people are probably more inclined to listen to people um, that you mentioned, to celebrity influencers, and that that is a positive thing because ultimately, if they open up, if they talk, if they think about it, that is, that's going to be more positive in the long run. Here's my point, Kira. Schools need to be more cons considered in who they bring into their school environment. That's what I'm saying. I'm not Are you saying, jealous? I'm not saying Are that... Are you jealous, Richard? Keith, come okay, on. Let's have a, Do you think let's they're have going a in there? Let's have a serious conversation issue. here yeah. now, because this is a very serious topic. And if you sat Keith in my clinic, you wouldn't be making a joke about it, to be honest. So I'm I, only I think, making a joke about I think, your thoughts on okay. it. OK, I think <clears> it's important. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that everybody involved in this 
are, are going to do negative things, but it's important that we, we are much more considered about who comes into our school environment and they give positive okay. messaging. I think All right, look, we're out of time there. Schools are doing that. Thank you. They're very good. And Keith Walsh for coming in. Just to let you know you can contact Helplines on virtualmediatelevision.ie forward slash helplines if you've been affected by anything we've been talking about this evening. That's it from us. Our programme is filmed as a podcast on all major platforms. But for now, take care. Good night.